Transformers comic review podcast for slugs of forage through the details and find long-lost secrets and mysteries. I'm Stuart Webb, and joining me today are two babies nestled within my chest, suckling on my dry old dugs. It's Tom <laughs> McNally! <laughs> oh, oh, God. It's, uh, it's so soothing. You don't have to suckle so hard, though, Tom. <laughs> I'm angry. And Marion Hilditch. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> you were so innocent. You were so like, oh, should I do the intro? <laughs> Just, well, you know, maybe it's my turn. You had a whole thing. <laughs> Here we are talking about issues 14 to 15 of Lost Lights, the, uh, the final, possibly, Scavengers two-parter in the series, which I think is, is quite a big thing for us because, of course, the first episode of this podcast we all did together was a scavenger's two-parter, so we've, we've come full circle. Ah, oh, you know, I, I was born on the first scavenger's two-parter, and <laughs> after this podcast, I will just quietly pass away. Oh, Tom. Well, let's let hope old. we see you again in the future so that you don't have to die, Tom. Oh, uh, well, you know, I, I say die, but really I've just fallen into a singularity, and, well, we won't get into that. No, we are going to kill you, actually, after we record here. So. Yeah, it's my contract. Pillow here. Thank you, yeah. yeah. That's what I wanted. So who who are the good people responsible for issues 14 and 15 of Lost Lights, the Transformers comic? So uh, we've got uh, issue 14, The Ties Not Bind, written by James Roberts, art by Sarah Peter Duroche and Brendan Cahill. We have never seen Sarah on uh, Lost Light before, have we? Uh, she might have done some covers, I think, but uh, yeah, I don't think oh. she's done interiors. It's the first on interiors, and we have not seen Brendan on Lost Light. Obviously, we know Brendan for more than meets the eye, but I believe this is his first Lost Light issue. He's been missed, and it's good to see Sarah on this book. And Colors, as always, the excellent John Alafuente, and Tom B. Long on Letters. So... We oh I should I definitely mention that we are recording this after Lost Light sixteen and seventeen have both come out, and after Optimus Prime issues seventeen and eighteen have come out. However, we are not going to make any references to these books or spoil anything for you if you haven't read them yet. We that, yeah that means we, you did, we, we did all this just before we started recording. I got it all out my system. <laughs> Um, all right, so we start the book with a flashback, and it's an amazing flashback because here is a lot of people who I wouldn't expect to see here. A shockwave, there is a flame and scorponok, uh, there is flywheels, uh, there is Skip, I believe, who we get to know intimately in various uh, <laughs> issues of Lost Light. The timeline places us shortly after uh, Overlord has taken over Garrus 9. He's released Shockwave. Shockwave has taken with him a lot of other cons. And uh, uh, as uh, things would have it, he has made some people very happy because he's been on the DJD's list. And they have now found him. 
so they're giving him a call and look who else is on the panel it's the djd you guys i miss Aww. those guys it's nice uh, to see them all together again with, with the uh, dominus atmosphere as well well is it is it this is a little bit of a, a bit of an art error there i find uh, so we've got a Voss with claws for hands, but instead of it being Dominus, it's it's just Voss with claws for hands. Yeah, you think it was described in the script that way, Voss with his cl- with claws for his hands. Yeah. It's the problem with code names. Mm, that's it. Um, which is okay. I can live with this. I'm so happy to see these guys that I can live with this. So they would have been nice to have gotten a, an actual um, old Voss uh, on panel there. Uh, one w- thing, I don't, I don't think we've ever uh, been told what star system Garrus 9 is in. I always assumed it was in the Garrus system. But I guess we've got Garrus 1 mentioned. So I guess Garrus is just what you call uh, it. Elba system is from the Ultimark Almanac, uh, where in the animated continuity, that's where Garrus 9 is, because Elba was the name of, was a name of the Challenge of the GoBots cartoon. Oh, my God. That's... <laughs> So, so James may have looked up Garrus Nine on the Transformers wiki and found this reference to, okay, to a, to a different version. Okay, but it's also where Napoleon's exiled as well. So, oh, so uh... see, here was me looking at actual stars. <laughs> yeah, Napoleon was exiled to to space. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know that's where he wrote all of his diaries, isn't it? I mean, to be fair, I think uh, draw, if they drawn the actual Dominus Ambus Voss, that would have just created more work for third-party toy manufacturers. Yeah, so, yeah, they're it's... already making one. They've uh, got a little pet one coming out, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. Well, he transforms. He transforms into Dominus. Um, although, yeah, he wouldn't have been Dominus in disguise as uh, Voss, fair enough. Uh, but uh, speaking of third-party companies, this is Tarn without his mask here. I think we now have about 10 different versions of Maskless Tarn by different artists and toy companies, commissions and what have you. <laughs> Which, uh, my theory stands that Tarn has a different face every time he takes the mask off. It's just his thing. Ah, like Shockwave, always changing his looks. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, the only way I can explain this to my head, in my head now. But now, so the timing of this, right? Is this to remind us that, sh- that, that um, Grimlock mauled Tarn? Because that... Surely that's this is happening before then. Yeah, that's uh, that's because uh, it's mentioned further down, so that sounds like a good call. Um, yeah, it's weird because I guess he got his face mauled at some point, and then Grimlock broke his face again. It's, it's interesting he takes a mask off at all. Oh no, hang on. Um, I think it was just always Grimlock because when he and Tarn have their uh, first encounter in More Than Meets the Eye, Tarn already hates him. For having really oh okay okay so, so the more the mauling was not what we saw in more than meets the eye it is a different form. yeah yeah okay hmm. it's interesting he takes his mask off at all because he really never did that in anything we saw him do previously so obviously he's got sort of face issues with shockwave he's <laughs> like he's rubbing his in there oh harsh harsh but this encounter is significant for other reasons, because uh, especially the fact that they each call each other by their real names. So obviously Shockwave and Glitch knew each other from Institute days. That's when we first get to meet Glitch, so they have a history. So this is uh, a significant moment. And uh, so it does a plot 
purposes, it's mainly here to uh, remind us of Tarn's ability to talk people to death over the phone, which uh, will come come back later in the story. Yeah, n- <laughs> never n- never a random panel in uh, Lost Life slash Mother Mitsuo. You know, for all the 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 setting up it does, I am um, I, I I do have certain reservations about the whole just jumping out of a ship and hoping for the best kind of. <laughs> um, method of travel well it's all right if they travel between star systems when they're in a ship because i guess they've got hyperdrives or whatever but when they like end up anywhere they're just gonna go they're just gonna end up in orbit around elba however you know what this means right this is the point at which the necrobot rescued skip oh yeah she's yeah completely no wait no skip wasn't one of the rescued, Skip was one of Death Soros's crew, wasn't oh, he? Oh, is that right? Yeah, I think so. Ah, uh, okay, never mind then. Um, we've also got a very sheepish looking Skullgrin and Bombburst uh, hanging out there. Um, I wonder if they're being set up for anything or if they're just kind of crowd fillers. Well, uh, as, as the wiki pointed out, they'd already died in, uh, all the way back in uh, uh, whichever. Was it Stormbringer with the Pretenders in it? Yeah, death uh, by wreckers. Maybe killed already, but they're back to, to hang around oh. and bludgeon and stand in the background. Ah, that's what they wanted. But yeah, you're definitely right about Skip because obviously he's dead on Necroworld. They didn't kill any of the rescues. He's dead because they di- he died in the fight. He died in the in the end of more than meets the eye fight. So he must have mm. been the source's crew. I wonder if Tailgate killed him. Tailgate had to put him, had to transform him back together. Oh, there, there we go back. It's all Skip's subconscious messing them up. <laughs> Wishing Tailgate get dead. <laughs> Skip but, comes oh. on the intercom, tells him that, that Tailgate's been blown apart. Oh, at the exact moment where Rodimus goes, Skip? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I feel sorry for Shockwave, who has to shoot off his one hand as well. It's just... Oh, just blow up his own hand. But he, he, it's, it's not a precision shot, and it's quite a big explosion, so he doesn't t- just take out the phone with that. It's yeah. like he doesn't take his ear with it as well, really. It's... I mean, his gun arm's so weirdly long, but I don't know really how he's able to do that. From... Yeah, it's well drawn. It's well drawn. <laughs> I kid, I kid. It's, it's a good scene. I love it. Yes. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a good uh, sort of pre-credit sequence. It sets up a lot for the story and mm. the overall series. It's got some nice callbacks and phone calls. It's every, every type of call. All backs and phone calls, yeah. Mm. Uh, and it's got flame in it. Who doesn't love flame? Ah, oh, literally doesn't. Oh, it's got flywheels in it. Oh. We don't actually really like flywheels, but, you know. No, he worked in a concentration camp. Yeah, but he was one of the gang. <laughs> I wonder what Scott Flywheels did to get on the list. Because he was quite a, a pally. He was one of Tarn's guys in that uh, flashback. It didn't take that much to get on the list, I don't think, so... <laughs> oh, you didn't shove him into the furnace fast enough! <laughs> yeah, oh, he wow. got caught, that's why he did. Uh, yeah, I can imagine Tarn just, yeah, putting anybody who saw him when he was in a, a sort of a, a compromised moment, maybe somebody saw him cry once. <laughs> You've noticed the discontinuities in the appearances of Voss, you must be killed! Best. Okay, so... Nickel. Okay, so we jump forward. Um, ooh, a good point to jump backwards as well. We skipped a whole a few pages oh. when we were reviewing Lost Light. Uh, ooh, 12, 
I think it would have been, uh, which was the Meanwhile Elsewhere, Scavengers, Thesaurus, Galactic Council, uh, Black Blocks Consortia on a different planet. Um, something happens, a portal appears, the scavengers are sucked into it with nickel. All of that in a previous issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to note perhaps where they were when all this has happened, which was the benzene expanse, no, other way around, benzene, benzene cluster. cluster, yeah, that's what we did last time. <laughs> um, which is significant because the name of that cluster comes up again. And anyway, we are now again in Troja Major, which is where we were a few issues back with um, Nautica, Velocity, uh, Laga Nanod. And all kinds of things were happening. Uh, Scorponok's crew were there. Um, the other woman was there who took Nautica's feelings uh, for skids out of her head. Oh. Bengali! Have a nice Nazi. We've got Nicole, very confused, uh, trying to ring the Soros on her short-range phone. It's not working. Uh, Nicole says something here, which is a bit seems a bit weird, but noteworthy, and that's that uh, her forehead's been going haywire. She says radiations off the scale. The guy that brought us here, this curator, says we're on a spiritual ley line, and it started to warp. I asked what that meant, and he said it meant the old order were on manoeuvres. We hear no more of this. It's it's such a it's such a Doctor Who kind of phrase, isn't it? It's something that could mean a lot, but also just kind of sounds cool. Mm. But uh, mm. Mm. I must admit, I hadn't noticed that Nickel had a radiation meter in her forehead before. <laughs> <laughs> well. We she got the thing. We had no idea what the thing was for, did we? Um, one thing about Freyus. Freyus, that was the planet. Yes, about Fre- Freyus was in the benzene cluster. Yeah. Uh, the Decepticons used to hang out there. Oh, yeah, that was where um, Crankcase became a Decepticon. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that's, uh, they, that's, I guess that, that's why they were there, right? To go look for... Something or other. Or Nuntrium or something, weren't they? Something. Um, Nuntrium. Coming up, coming up more and often, more often than Nuntrium. Um, yeah, okay. I wonder, yeah, so it's interesting that there's this former Decepticon stronghold training camp that uh, is right in the middle of Galactic Council territory. Hmm. And why are they fighting for it with the Black Blocks Consortia? Yes, something's going on. There's some sus- Suspicious things going on around that expanse stroke cluster. <laughs> what, what were the Black Block Consortium doing on Trojus Major? They were chasing down the infinite. Yes. Okay, so they're on to, Shock, on to uh, Scorponok in some fashion. Or at least they're on to the Grand Architect. Oh. May not be the, the same person at all times. Okay, they're on to the Grand Architect. Who at least Flame uh, implies that they all work for. Yeah. And has um, it's sort of been implied because Laga Nanod knew of him uh, that this is um, something that's been going on for quite some time. Yes. Yeah, he's been employing blacksmiths, etc., etc. Okay. And now he's wrapping up operations. <laughs> so we're... Now, what I like about this, this particular scene of Antagonizer 
who uh, looks kind of like six shots with a big wings on his back. I don't know if that's uh, an adaption of his to- one of his toys. But uh, when they're talking about magnificence, they're just taking a piss out of a whole idea. <laughs> <laughs> As many of us have over the years, there's some, there's some serious lampshade here. We're just going, there's a, there's a search engine with a <laughs> big eye. We've got a bit of exposition here about the magnificence. For those who don't know, I, I'll admit I did not go back to read uh, Spotlight Hot Rod uh, or Revelation. Uh, double dealer. Uh, so I don't know if there's anything here that's new. I don't think there is. So it mentions uh, that uh, it used to belong to a civilization from Ki Aleta called the Omega Guardians, which is a bit confusing because weren't the Omega Guardians on Cybertron, like Omega Supreme and so on, and they called the Omega Guardians? They were referred to as Omega Guardians in Spotlight Hot Rod, though. Were they okay? Yeah. <coughs> I think, I think guys that look like Amiga been called Amiga Guardians in the comics, folks. I, I don't know if that's what we were called in the cartoon. They have, actually. They've, they've just cropped up recently in, in Optimus Prime as well. Mm. So, so, you know, all the Omega Supreme guys okay. are the Omega Guardians. I guess it's just, uh, maybe it's just a, a, a term that translates easily. <laughs> all right. The new bits of info here is that the Magnificence is potentially a Knight of Cybertron. Um, who lost his or her body because uh, they didn't need it anymore and they just became this giant eye. But interestingly, it is Senator Shockwave who had that idea. Where did he get that idea from? The Transformers seem to like the idea of their mythological beings becoming inanimate objects because yeah. they're sort of a guided hand myth. Well, it, it makes us think, like, what other objects are Knights of Cybertron? Is the Matrix a Knight of Cybertron? Is the Enigma of Combination a Knight of Cybertron? Hmm. Well, uh, the Matrix is a member of Guiding Hand, isn't it? It's, right, uh... yeah, but maybe those those two myths have been conflated. Hmm. Ah. Maybe if you're a Knight of Cybertron, you want to really, uh, uh, you know, impress other people by saying you were one of the Guiding Hand. Just like if you were 13 Prime, you want to really impress people by saying you knew something about the Knights of Cybertron. I think Unicron is a Knight of Cybertron. Hmm. He just got very big. You know, the guy from high school, you see them, and then it's been a few years, and they were, like, really athletic and sporty, but then, you know, they've really kind of gotten big. Why are you looking at me when you say that, Tom? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I really, really like this idea of that one of the, I mean, I guess it's you know, staring us in the face that uh, one of the tribes of the Knights of Cybertron is modelled after is the, the crest of the Magnificence. There is a, what appears to be one of the um, insignia, what shall we call it, or regalia of the Knights of Cybertron on the Magnificence itself. But it isn't oh. the one that we are familiar with. Oh, yeah, I can pick that. I thought that the that the regalia itself was a representation of the Magnificence. I didn't realise that that was actually on the Magnificence. But mm-hmm. then you look at them, quite a lot of them look my eyes. Yeah, because they could be one and the same. Uh, yeah, that was my takeaway, but I didn't actually re- I didn't see the orange behind it. I see, okay. At that point, Agonizer um, asked the Wreckers, uh, the, the, the Scavengers... Uh, to retrieve the magnificence for him, I 
wonder why. What he says is it belongs in the museum, which okay. <laughs> mm. Well, agonizer's a bit. I I mean, okay, on, on the on the surface, agonizer he's a music curator of a museum, but also he's got this kind of mystical bent to him, doesn't he? Mm. And he likes collecting stuff that are associate is associated with the Decepticons. It's also wives scavengers are very particularly noted for because he goes out of his way. It's not like he goes out into the streets of a city and hires some people who just happen to be be there. It's he goes out of his way to specifically grab them. Well, it's, so it's, what's their reputation at this point? It's said that he's very talented at programming a tra uh, transmat portal. So maybe it wasn't that much of a big deal for him to. Yeah, but how did he know they were on Freyus? Hmm. There's definitely more to him. I'm not going to say it. Uh, but he seems to be collecting very specific things, put it that way. Yeah. Um, he th well, he clearly has an interest in the night. Yes. He... But then he's also got things like Megatron's poetry. Well, he's got, uh, he's got a lot of copy things. The list. Yeah, sure, sure. But... I still think this is too much effort just to retrieve the magnificence when you know what it's capable of just because mm. it belongs in the museum and you want it in your collection. But then it's also he's not sending the A team. No, so thankfully Rathstar has no license, so they can't, <laughs> they can't do that. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot which doesn't add up here, isn't there? Is it, is it though that you can trust the scavengers to not figure out what's going on? Is that why they're being picked? Because they have no other agenda, no ulterior... Because every time everybody tries to use them for something. Because they mm. think that they're easily manipulated. I mean, Scorpion yeah. does it later on. Um, so is this... Because, I mean, let's face it, they're not the most capable people. So as you say, why pick them to go on this mission? Especially as I, I guess they're disposable. Mm. But then why go to all the effort to scoop them up from Freyas? Sorry, yeah. Especially as one previous client we've seen them have died as well. So it's as if maybe we've had a lot of success when we haven't been seen them, but they turned out to be really good at what at scavenging. But uh, on panel, I, I I wouldn't use them. <laughs> I wouldn't want to end up horribly dead. I mean, I guess if you were to, you would probably. Hmm. No, because you wouldn't. Re wouldn't I, was, I was thinking maybe you'd recruit the Lost Light um, to do something like this for you, because they've got a lot more resources. But then they keep the magnificence. Yeah, Agonizer doesn't seem to be the type to trust Autobots. Mm. It's, it's also a really remarkable coincidence that uh, of all the uh, people he could have got hired to do this, one of them is a guy who had magnificence in his chest previously. <laughs> which presumably he didn't know. There's no indication of that here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Keeping stum about that. Or oh, he's outside. He... Or is this why he's sending them? Did Scorponok put Agonizer up to it? Mm. No. Well, actually, well, Scorponok does seem to... Here's the thing. Scorponok's buried under the ship, which is which is very odd behaviour. I mean, it's not odd behaviour for a scorpion. I mean, they're kind of waiting for them. They are kind of waiting for them. Yeah. Mm. Well, they're waiting for someone, because uh, Scorponok says, I think you have a... The end of the issue, uh, they're not the people he was expecting, because uh, that's why he captured them. He was uh, wait, thinking somebody else was coming to get him, and once he realises they're not working for who he was expecting, then he's happy to let them be killed. Oh, so who's he expecting? That's a mystery, Tom. 
Somebody wants to, uh, what is it, compare, confront, not compare, what would be, be a terrible catchphrase, I just want to compare you to something. <laughs> <laughs> Let me compare you. Uh, he wants to do that catch. Somebody wants to do his the little catchphrase to him. Uh, Repair, confront, repel. That's that's the one. You malapropped it. <laughs> I like my version better. <laughs> yeah. Uh... It's a kind universe. <laughs> Anyways, they, they all turn up where they're being sent right. This is the confluence. I think it's called. It is literally yeah. The planet is called confluence because it's. The plot lines come together. That's oh. the least thought through planet names is Planet Offset. <laughs> no, I, 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 I hear you, Offset, and I uh, bind you, Gasephony. Uh, well, we get the tree robots all the way back in, uh, as it handily says here, more than meets eye, she said. Yeah, contractually obligated, it seems. <laughs> well, it, it does feel like uh, this is. Whatever James originally planned to do with these guys, he lost track of or couldn't pull off because they are just here, so they can be ticked off. They don't seem really connected to, to anything else. I have stop, to agree stop. with stop. your take on this, Jared. Stop asking me about this at conventions. Look, there they are. There's your wood robots. You happy? <laughs> the series has not been cancelled, whatever Bleedy Cool says, but it's been wrapped up unexpectedly soon. So I can't do my six-part tree robot story. So here they are. <laughs> uh, I gotta say the design on the tree butts is cool. Hmm. Um, they're very sort of rock lords, and I am I am um, I'm someone who will go to bat for rock lords. So do, do these guys have Decepticon sparks as well? Then, like a little baby, does at the end? Is that have a? Is this a first experiment? Do something like that. Well, or... you know, if I was gonna uh, uh, do this mad organic implantation scheme, I would use plants because you can just clone them easily from a single cell. You can just build a whole orchard of Decepticons and then, um, and then harvest them from there. Mm. So you know, nobody's gonna suspect the trees or all the purple babies. Also, they can just eat light. It's fine. There's a bit of setup here as well for Grimlock. Uh, when Nickel speaks to him, he doesn't reply. Further down the line, he transforms, and uh, then he's very talkative all of a sudden. Yeah. And that's how Nickel figures out that uh, he seems to communicate better in Dino mode as opposed to Robot mode, which leads us into what happens in the next issue. Hey, the pressure on his brain. Anyways, Scorponok turns up. Do it is impression of movie Scorponok as well, jumping out of the sand with his spinning, uh, spinning tail. <laughs> he's obviously a fan of Michael Bay. He's like, oh, I'm going to have me a bit of that. I love his little grin as he just guns everybody down. Oh, yeah, he's really pleased with himself. And then he puts Grimlock to sleep. He Jedi's him. Yeah, now, see, I don't know how much setup he requires for that Jedi trick. But it also makes me... Because if he can put Grimlock, he demonstrates later that he can put anyone. To, he can he can manipulate the sparks of any Decepticon mm. or any former Decepticon. So, is he just gunning down the scavengers for fun mm. and then saving Grimlock? But why is he saving Grimlock? Yeah, it's, it's, I'm not quite sure why well, he's acting this way. Yeah, he takes Grimlock down because he's dangerous, but he wants to know who sent the rest of them. Uh, as he says uh, in his uh, one of his many expositions. 
Um, uh, that he's kept them alive because he wants to know what their plan is and what they're doing there. So you're right, he wasn't expecting them. Uh, and he doesn't work with Agonizer. Okay. Or at least, oh, hang on, because what he says to be precise is, I wanted to know who you work for and it's not who I thought it might be. Not necessarily that, you know, the fact that they're from Agonizer doesn't seem to bother him too much. Right, okay, he was expecting somebody more of a someone more personal to him i guess well how many people are in play here right the council the black block consortia yeah who may or may not be aligned to the grand architect's um plans yeah but is somehow linked to him agonizer who as far as we know is independent and just wants magnificence for no apparent reason mm-hmm um, and that's it, is uh, it? I, I mean, from Scorpion's perspective, he might be expecting Tyrest or Ultra Magnus. I guess if he doesn't know what's going on, yeah. And uh, uh, depending he... on depending on if he got the memo, he might even be expecting Shockwave. Mm-hmm. Or Hot Rod, who has a history with Magnificence as well and likes to go Jason after it. Or the DJD. Yeah. Literally, literally yeah. anyone. If he doesn't know what's going on, yeah, he could he's be. He's made a lot of enemies. Yeah. His enemies, his, his arch rivals include Grimlock, Ultra Magnus, <laughs> the DJD, uh, Megatron himself. Jeez, yeah, he might have gotten word that the Lost Light is commanded by Megatron now and thinks that there's like a gigantic warship coming for him. Uh, a big a mystery of the Holomorph more than we even before is finally revealed here. Uh, which is what is buried under Equitas. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, I will uh, bet you fifty pounds now that when that mystery was set up in Last Sand of Records, whatever that was going to be under there was not magnificent, because it feels like there's some jumpy through hoops uh, trying. Because I don't get it why they would bury it under there. Uh, or put it in Grimlock's chest, really. Uh, why not put it in a museum? Where, or if, <laughs> either use it to w- be, win the war by asking yeah. the right questions, or destroy it so the Decepticons can't use it. Why bury it? What, what's it doing? Why bury it in a prison? Hmm. Full of all the naughty people who want to get their hands on it if they ever escaped, which they used to do with, like, once a month. Yeah. And uh, and also put it in, or also put it in the chest of your loose cannon, who uh, famously goes off by himself on personal vendettas and gets himself buried on various planets. Yeah, I mean, why would Grimlock agree to that either? That seems out of well, character. at that point, Grimlock was atoning, wasn't he? I mean, he hands himself yeah. in. Uh, he goes to Garrison voluntarily. Mm. That's true. Yeah, he wanted to take his lumps. Mm. Because that's presumably why they didn't put him in Spark Extraction as well, then. Because uh, uh, I think they made a thing of that in... Was it Last Stand where they said they, they wouldn't let him go into uh, into the usual thing as an e- extra punishment or something like that? That yeah. was Impactor. Oh, it's Impactor. Because he wouldn't... He, wouldn't, he, he said he, he had no remorse. All right. Um, so Scorponok uh, goes in the cell. There's a bit of exposition. We find out that um, yeah, the Magnificence was buried under Equitas. Then they took it out, put it into Grimlock, who has a big hole in his chest, which is very Magnificence-shaped at this point, 
because this bugged me further down. Um, <laughs> we'll get to this later. Um, and um, yeah, Scorponek's like, yeah, okay, I don't care about you anymore. Um, I'm just going to have Grimlock kill you now. Bye. Uh, at that point, um, uh, Grimlock wakes up. He's not very happy that people have been tampering with his chest. And uh, he starts attacking the scavengers. However, another thing to point out is they're not alone in this cell that Scorponox put them in. Ah, there's the, uh, there's the saw guy. There is the other guy. And the other guy is clearly a Decepticon. He has a Decepticon badge on his arm. And uh, there's uh, his chest, sort of his, maybe his abdomen seems to have been ripped out. Uh, it's pretty dark. Uh, but certainly his midsection has been burst open. Now, despite what we're told later, he sure doesn't look like a volunteer in that panel. Quite, quite. Uh, Frank Case described him later as that he's gone 10 rounds with a spark eater, doesn't he? Mm. Yes. Uh, but this whole ending did bug me a little because it involves Scorpionock of Flame being complete idiots. Because apparently they, <laughs> they walk off. Uh, we, <laughs> we'll just leave him to it, but... We won't check that they all get killed. We won't leave a guard watching. We won't have any CCTV in the cell with a with a guard watching. No, we'll just trust we're, all, that, uh, we're, we're all machine people, but we can only see what humans see. And the fact that the guards who are there only bother to go look into the cell after it's been silent for a bit. Shall, shall we go check on the prisoners whilst we're making a noise? No, no, we'll wait until they're really, really quiet. And then, then we'll go look. But only once they've definitely stopped doing anything that could be a cunning attempt to escape. I mean, you get, you're ascribing a lot of competency to these guards, but for all we know, that they yesterday they were trees. <sighs> well, they, sh they should have put down roots <laughs> outside the cell. One thing we've, we've, we've glossed over, a little flashback panel... Rimlock was extracted from his cell on Garrus 9. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I did skip over that. Through the Warren. And I think that may come in... That may come up again later. Sort of Scorponok has control over the Warren. Getaway is currently in the Warren. Grimlock's cell is linked to the Warren. Hmm. There is a, uh, an another mystery here resolved, is how Grimlock got out of her lock cell. But, uh, speaking of little retcons, uh, Grimlock's... Well, I suppose it's not a retcon because it's not mutually exclusive, but uh, sort of Grimlock's state is put down to what Scorpionox said to him. Whilst in Last Sound of Wreckers, it was implied he was mentally broken by all the stuff Overlord made him watch. I mean, those aren't mutually incompatible. And also... It's a really bad time. Did we learn that from Snare? Yeah, no, there is. So this is how the timeline goes. We know we see Grimlock for the last time in our Maximum Dino Boots. He gets put in Garrus 9. The next time we hear about him is in the last stand of the Wreckers when uh, Cup and Gazzle go to find him in his cell. They discover that the cell is still locked. And then somebody sneaks up behind them, and I can't remember who that bot is, to help them out. One of who was either one of the Decepticons or one of the prisoners of Garrus 9. And he says he's not there, he left some time ago, referring to Grimlock. Um, and that Overlord didn't kill him. Uh, he specifically kept him alive and fed him live footage of what was going on in Garrus 9 until he broke him. 
Uh, and then the mystery is that nobody knows what happened to Grimlock after that. His cell is still locked. Overlord wanted him alive. He just appears to have vanished. Uh, and yes, as you say, he was a broken man. Uh, even before uh, then Scorponok goes into his cell via the warrant and grabs him out, then puts him through quite a lot of significant torture. And this is uh, where we end up with Grimlock as he is today. So obviously the mental deterioration started even before um, Scorponok got his hands on him. And the timing of this is uh, we've got... Uh, how long was um, Overlord in charge of Kairos 9? Was it a couple of years? Yeah, two years. So, yeah. yeah, so um, now we know that um, Overlord let, uh, well, we've known that for some time that he let Scorpo, um, sorry, Shockwave go, uh, and all the other bots that we see in the beginning of this issue, and then Scorponok goes back, um, uh, presumably sometime over those two years, so whilst Overlord is still in charge of Garrus 9, but before the uh, wreckers uh, free the prison and grabs mm. Grimlock. Uh, so it does yeah, all tie well, in. I don't see an issue with the timeline there or with uh, what we've been told so far, specific to Grimlock anyway. That actually makes sense. It's, uh, oh, but before we do go on, I suppose there's one thing, other thing that might be important later on, uh, which is that we, uh, we see the World Sweeper, is it? What, is that what the symbol ships mm -hmm. are called? Uh, uh, we see that leaving the planet of the trees. Mm -hmm. So obviously, Scorpion Arc has a base somewhere else. Who who knows where he could be going? But, ah, uh, okay. Yeah, they're on the world sweeper for most of it, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, everything mm. we've talked about, the prison cell, everything else is happening on the ship. Um, however, interestingly, uh, if this is, is the same world sweeper as... The one that we saw back in... Actually, no, I don't think it can be. It's a different world sweeper. The one that we saw yeah. back in issue 7 was abandoned. Yeah, and they mentioned that. Oh, your, your world sweeper crashed and you just left Grimlock there. Yeah. Right. Um, we get to the end of the issue and um, it's all a big uh, shock moment because the last panel... Is the guards going back to check on the cell because they hear some screams and there is Grimlock standing in front of in the middle of everybody and there's energon everywhere and heads and body parts and is it the end? Let's find out. <laughs> A lot of people on social media were, were convinced that was the end and they were very annoyed. It was like the tailgate thing all over again. They were, utterly, they were how could you kill the scavengers? You brutal, brutal man, you. Um, were they? Was anybody fooled by this? I mean, this uh, there, there were people who were fooled, yes. Okay. Who are these people? Have, how long have they been reading this book for? I need to know. Yeah, I mean, just do they not read anything? <laughs> well, uh, James just has this reputation as a guy who kills everyone, even where he very rarely actually kills anyone. It's uh, yeah, um, interesting. He's that. a deeply misunderstood person. <laughs> no, they're just getting confused with Nick Rose. Right, issue fifteen. Uh, Kill all cons uh, again, written by James Roberts, art by Brendan Cahill and Sarah Peter Du Rocher again. In this book, we've got them sort of reversed in terms of page count. Uh, the first book is primarily drawn by Sarah uh, and Brendan appears to join towards the end. Uh, this book is almost entirely drawn by Brendan with Sarah contributing a couple of pages at the end. Uh, I, I think I, Sarah, in, in both Sarah's doing the, the flashbacks. 
Um, and Brendan's yeah, doing all the present day. I think Sarah does more in the first one, more okay. than just a flashback. Just looking at the shape of shape of Scorponok's head. This is a big. Uh... Call us by Jana Lafuente. As always, letters by Tom DeLong. We pick up where we left off. Uh, Grimlock demanding to see Scorponok. And we've got them talking to each other. Uh, Grimlock appears a bit confused as to what's happened. Uh, Scorponok keeps saying, oh, you've just murdered all your friends. And Grimlock's like, what friends? I have no friends. They were Decepticons. They deserved everything they got. Um, and surprise, surprise, the scavengers turn up and they're alive. What, what is happening? That was the longest <laughs> month of my life. I thought my best friends were dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, Scorponok's a bit dim here as well, because it turns out the reason Scorponok, uh, Grimlock is uh, talking normally is because uh, Spinister did a little bit of uh, work on him in, in the cell uh, once they worked out what was wrong with his uh, his brain module. So that's why he's now able to... So Scorponok should really have gone, well, wait a minute, why are you suddenly talking and behaving exactly like a normal person, as if an expert brain surgeon has done some, some work on you. That's that's uh, very odd. That shouldn't has, be happening. Has undone the damage I did to you. <laughs> um, yeah, he doesn't seem particularly perplexed by this. He's just like, oh, you got your voice back. All right, then, let's carry on. What were we talking about? Um, well, at, least they, at least they've tied up Grimlock's hands. They've got one token effort in security, mate. <laughs> Those hands that become his feet. <laughs> we, we, they retract into his into his forearms. There are literally three pages here of flashback of what happened in the shell in the cell. Um, before we get to that, though, Grimlock does get Scorponok to open up a little bit as to what the hell is going on. Um, and uh, Grimlock says, "You were holding that thing last time I saw you, referring to the Magnificence." Um, and uh, says the flame has a theory the magnificence is sentient, which would agree with the theory that it's a, a knight of Cybertron, and uh, that it can actually tell based on your brain patterns whether you're uh, you have uh, a good or bad intentions when using it. It works a bit like a morality lock, a phrase that we hear from Drift's vision. And th this is all just uh, shamelessly based on the, the moment from the, uh, the 50th anniversary Doctor Who special, which is this ultimate sort of super weapon, but it has morality and a conscience, and it will decide whether it's going to help you or not. And uh, will even uh, manipulate events to do what it thinks is to your benefit as well, which may be uh, uh, clear with things that m happen in <laughs> at the end here. Okay. But, uh, okay. So that means Magnificence is played by Billy Piper, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it also reminds me, I guess both, yeah, there's a lot of debt to this, but of the, the Guide 2.0 from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The bird. Transforming so bird. I, I'm saying Billy Piper, you're saying Rula Lenska, man. That's, uh, that's our cast scene. That is cool. exactly what I am saying. Rula Lenska played the book. Uh, the book two with radio version talk. Yeah, yeah, that was on the, the tip of my fingers. That information. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of information, 
do either of you guys remember who the Infinites were? Uh, the little guy who could do lots of uh, transform into anything. Yeah, he turned into a coffin and he looked kind of oh, gangly. Oh, that's who he... Cause see, I was trying to think back to Maximum Dinobots because, you know, Abraham Dante is mentioned here. Yay! My favourite! So, I hope he's going to show up at the end of the series. He doesn't say he's dead. <laughs> I like to think he's... Yeah, he's, I, he's, I'd like to think he's still scoping that's head and that he really needs a wee. That's a, that's a conversation we have had before and perhaps <laughs> may not want to go down again. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, so that makes a lot more sense. So the infinite, uh, plural, the infinites, are Scorponox project as well. Uh, but they're not his main project. Uh, it, they were just a distraction, he says. How does Grimlock know about the infinites? Um, like scavengers have never met them. That was... Agonizer uh... may have told them, I guess. Hmm. When he was filling yeah. them in. Um... Because we don't see their whole conversation. So he, yeah. he was paying attention, Grimlock. He wasn't just uh, ignoring the things. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he listens. He doesn't talk, but he listens. Uh, so this is interesting. <laughs> Scorponok considers them a distraction. Mm. But he obviously put a lot of energy into it. Well, are I, the I don't infinites, think he did. Are the, well, are the infinites... The Grand Architects. It sounds deal. like it. It's the thing he made him do. And Scorponok's doing his firstborn project on the side. Actually, yeah. a lot of this would make sense because uh, we, we said earlier that the Grand Architect is somebody that Lagananod knew about. This would have had to have been many, many years ago. Mm. Uh, so way before Scorponok was uh, in Garrus 9 with Flame and so on, um, the Grand Architect seems to have found them uh, out mm. after they were well I'm jumping ahead here to the end of the issue but um, Grand Architect finds them after they escape from the DJD and mm -hmm. so far we've seen that um, Scorponok is not wearing the Grand Architect's uh, insignia yeah but Flame is so I wonder if Flame has always worked for the Grand Architect and Scorponok was just recruited uh, after he escaped from Garrus 9 Oh, nice one. Yeah, because then that makes it a little less like, oh, I just wandered into this Unicron guy. Um, mm. It's a bit more like, oh, I tracked down this agent who's potentially useful. Mm. If, and Flame, uh, Flame, he's, got, he's made a friend. Mm. Flame's got a whole load of stuff going on as well, because presumably he was a Decepticon at some point to be on the DJD list. Yeah. And he, he was on trial for something. Uh at uh, in Last Sound of Records, he made flashbacks. So he's, he's he's done some stuff, Flame. He's been about. I think we know exactly what he did. Isn't he? Isn't he, isn't he sentenced in that flashback? Do we? Not, can anyone remember what he what it was he did? He, I I think he might have said in an issue since, uh, but I don't think they do in Last Stand. I think it's just uh, a, a mute flashback, isn't it? Um, hang on. Wait. Wait. Illicit spark transplants. Desecration ah. of corpses. Oh, that would come in handy. Oh, <laughs> there we go. There we go. Okay. Maybe it was planned all along. Ah. Desecration of corpses and spark transplants, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, useful guy to have around. Hmm. So, Scorponok has always had his own grand plans here. Yeah? Um, but 
yeah, the grand architect has made him do this thing. And he's like, yeah, right, whatever. He's a bit of a shockwave in those sense, isn't he? Where, uh, yeah, the Decepticon cause whatever. My real plans, however... <laughs> Much more brilliant. Yeah. Oh. Before we get into the, the in-depth of what Scorpion Ox up to, I've got to say, the, uh, following up of a poor security here, so uh, the disassembled scavengers put themselves back together, managed to grab a load of guns from somewhere, and Grimlock's sword and get to the bridge without anybody noticing from the starting point of the prison cells. That's okay, Scorbrock needs to sort out his people. Scorbrock's people are all trees, I'm telling you. <laughs> I think... They've been transplanted. They just want to sit in the sunlight. What what might be tripping up here, I think, Stuart, is that you're trying to find some kind of coherence to these issues. I think you would find that you would enjoy them much more if you thought of them as um, Bond films. Uh, Scorbunox the villain, nothing really makes sense. Uh, you just need to take it as it is. And um, I think you will find that, that that will solve a lot of your problems. Oh, well, it's, it's not that, uh, that bit in Spectre where Bond uh, just escapes from a massive volcano base. Uh, makes it explode by just firing his gun once. <laughs> and just when he walks off. <laughs> it's too easy. I demand higher things in my Bond films. <laughs> I, I love how how the Bond, the Blofeld kind of characterist, uh, um, characterization is really leaned into. I love the line where he talks to, <laughs> he addresses the magnificence. Nobody steals my thunder. <laughs> and behold! It shows off his uh, his little baby. Uh, I mean, of course, uh, Furman very much based Scorpion Arc on uh, Christopher Walken in A View to a Kill. That's that's a Bond villain he was aiming for, and I think uh, for, uh, Roberts very much keeps up the, that, that style. You can picture uh, Christopher Walken saying most of this through his little funny bad laugh, and he's uh, that is insane. Uh, of course, because Christopher Walken that film has resulted in insane genetic experiments as well. So it all, it all ties together. He's, he's, he's not just for blimp that uh, Christopher Walken had, that Scorpion Rock also had. There were other ties there. He's got, yeah, he's got a world three perts, so like a blimp. Um, but he, he had a blimp in... Uh, was it Maximum Dinobots he had a blimp? Did he? Yeah, where he's uh, like Christopher Walken in, in A View to a Kill, just to sort of hammer home the what Furman was aiming for. <laughs> okay. Um, well... Christopher Walken's never been pregnant, to my knowledge. Well, that was actually that happens in a view to a kill as well. That's, that's a bit odd. <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> do a rewatch of these. Um, there is another brilliant line that we're going to skip here uh, in the previous issue, which is um, ah skip. Ah ha ha. Nickel, and you think Scorponok's responsible? Crankcase? No, we think it was some other sadistic. Technogeneticist with an interest in macabre body horror. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the ultimate trolling from James here, I think, because all these years everybody's been going, Yeah, of course it's Scorpion. Yeah, of course Scorpion. <laughs> yeah, he's the, he clearly he ticks all the boxes. It has to be Scorpion. <laughs> um, so we have a we have a purple baby. We have baby. a purple baby, Scorpion tells us. A very big his uh, plan, like the proper villain that he is. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, he seems to be pregnant uh, with a baby, which, which is quite a big baby. It's not a human-sized baby. Um, with yeah, it's the size of an adult. Decepticon insignia tattooed on its face. She. I guess it's about the size of Abraham Dante. If we look, if we got Scotland's head right there. <laughs> oh my god. That's the size of a man. That's a man in a big suit as well. Um, hmm. Is she? I think she's a bit bigger. Maybe. Oh, no. Yeah, I can see what you mean. If she transformed into a head, she would be Scorponox head-sized. Wow. Hmm. And uh, Scor- Scorponox decided to have her cosplay as Tarn. With, <laughs> yeah. With a tattoo. His best friend. So... Scorponok's plan is is pretty insane. So what Scorponok wants to do is um, he wants to regenerate the Decepticons. Not he says Decepticons are not Cybertronians. He really could not care less about anybody else. Um, just the Decepticons because they're dying out, and we find out that there's just uh, a little over ten thousand of them, which I think probably sounds about right. Um, if it's half and half, uh, yeah, about 10,000 Autobots, 10,000 Decepticons. It sounds a bit generous, if anything, but it sounds pretty realistic. Um, and obviously, as we know, they can't uh, procreate. The um, hotspots have dried up, or at least Scorponok might think they have, because quite this, um, there's a, a big one of them on Cybertron right now. I haven't kept up with what's going on. Is it still there? Uh, yeah, Trypticon is teeming uh, with little baby Trypticons. Okay. Oh, that's so sweet. They've got a new sideswipe. They've got all kinds oh. of stuff going on. A sideswipe came back. Oh. No, no, just a little red oh. boy. <laughs> uh, we've got Luna, Luna 1, uh, which is dormant, but it's there. Uh, in any case, we've got options, right? Uh, plus... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there might be more constructed cold, uh, like uh, spark reserves. Yeah, there could be a few uh, hanging out. I guess some of the colonies' uh, Im- Im- implication is they had a few um, sparks stashed away as yeah. well. Now, Scott Block also mentioned spark splicing, mm. which is interesting. You'd think that he, um, being in the know, would know that that was a cover story. Oh, interesting that. Hmm. Scott Rock's plan here is clearly unworkable for all It's just a mad, mad plan from a mad man. If uh, it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny at all, because I mean, once all these babies are born, how what will make them Decepticons? And then he's going to well, take their sparks over tattoo. Oh, well, tattoo, well, yeah, tattoo, yeah. I might as well be. <laughs> be a Decept- he doesn't seem to understand how uh, organic children work. That you're not born into an ideology and. They won't necessarily be all on his side, even with the tattoo. And he's talking about taking their sparks out after they've had loads of babies. And would they have sparks if they're born the traditional human way? Even if he's put the Septicon sparks into their parents somehow? It's if, if this was a Japanese series, if it was something like, uh, you know, like some of the mysticism they go into in Energon and, or, or something, then I think that would be very uncritically accepted but yeah i do i i'm really curious to know how their uh how their boning works these these little babies um <laughs> they, they transfer i guess they're not wholly human but scorpion spent a lot of time around humans and nebulans and things and i guess that's just what he likes yeah it's 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 um it's a very scorpion plan 
Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm impressed with how Bananas is, except in the case that, like, I'm sure there's some... We've got a lot of mechanical races out there. Um, I'm pretty surprised that none of them have cracked sexual reproduction. I mean, it's not, you know, you just, you just need to, you just need to mix genetic information. Mm. You don't need, you don't need to the, the act of sex. Tom, why take all the fun out of it, Tom? <laughs> my biological definition of sexual reproduction. Don't even need to do meiosis. Bacteria can do sexual reproduction, and they just vomit their genes into each other. Oh, that sounds like sex to me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, the things that could go wrong with this plan, I think, are just the assumption that the organic reproduction will go to plan, no matter which way you do it. I mean, I, I, I think Scorpion's okay with his plans going wrong, though. He's, I mean, he's never succeeded in anything. Oh. Nothing he's ever done has ever no, worked no, out. I, I don't think that's true. He succeeds in his experiments working. He just seems to always get caught or stopped because he succeeded in mm. creating headmasters. He succeeded in yep. creating the infinite. He's, but mm-hmm. he's, you know, he when he sets his mind on something, it happens. Yeah, but that was. He's, uh, he's you're, you're right. He, he can, he, he can, but then that's not the end goal of the project. The point of the infinites was to create, I guess, many, mm-hmm. many infinites, and the point of the headmasters was to, you know, um, usher in a whole new world, a whole new era of Cybertronian life. I mean, he hasn't. He has. He's got no follow through. Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly. He gets. He gets caught because he. His plans are ridiculously convoluted. He has been successful at redesigning his claws so he could hold the magnificence more easily, though. Yeah. He's, he's managed that. Don't give him his little victories. Ah. Oh. It's, 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 you know, as far as plans go, I think wacky is a good word for yeah. it. Yeah. Pretty wacky. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's in keeping with RDW Scorpion Arc, who does have terrible. Rod <laughs> villain, as you say. <laughs> so well, I guess I mean he when he, when he was running the machination, at least I mean he was paying those people. Those were mercenaries. Mm. And he seems to want people to volunteer here as well. Yeah, he's got he's got an, he's, he's got emotional needs <laughs> that he wants satisfied on this matter. Um, well, I don't see how he's going to get volunteers anyway, because he wants Septicons who have well, been indoctrinated over the years to hate organic creatures. I mean, Nickel is a gas, a gag at the idea of uh, me but an organic. What does she say? But it's against um, principle of technology. Uh, te- yeah, so it's it's not an Decepticon appropriate thing. So if he's going to get loyal groups to volunteer, it's going to take some severe persuading of them. I mean, Nichols new, so she's probably quite keen still. But then also, I mean, this whole thing, he, he controls their spark casings. He can wave his... He, he can literally compel Decepticons to do what he wants. Yeah, and he, he, he does say, actually, I don't need you to volunteer. I have control over your sparks. Hmm. Well, I thought that just meant he would rip them out. I don't think he could influence people's decisions. Can he? It's... No, I mean, yeah, he can... Well. I can kill you with a thought. That's that's quite a good way to control people. Mm. Spark signatures have been a thing that keeps popping up. Scorponok refers to spark signatures now as to how this is how he manages to control Decepticons. Spark signatures is what Tyrus relied on to kill constructed cold Cybertronians uh, back when, at the end of season one. 
uh, it seems very much that uh, we are going back to this theme of sparks being significant for one thing or another. Uh, the, uh, reminds me of Radar's Finger. Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that was something we talked about on our, our first podcast as well, wasn't it? The, uh, the how useful it is for war and civilization to be det- individually detectable across space quite easily. To avoid, <laughs> mate, the DJD can not only tell there are Transformers on that ship, but that they're on their lists as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do they, no wonder the war lasted four million years. They literally can't sneak up on one another at all. <laughs> hmm. If only they'd had a spark scanner in with a tension cell on Scorpion ship. Were... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just left it in my other. <laughs> I left it in my other head. <laughs> uh, I love him doing. The Maxim Dinobox thing here. Uh, I love him trying to turn the scavengers on Grimlock. And it just getting no yeah. play. <laughs> and it's, it's handled much better here because one of the things I, I don't like about Maximum Dinobots is you do get about what feels like 50 scenes of the other Dinobots going, oh, we've had enough of you, Grimlock, we're off. Oh, and now we're back. <laughs> and now we're off again. Oh, and we're back again. Oh, I hate you. I know I like you, Grimlock. We're one team. <laughs> Uh, at least it's just done uh, in the like two battles here. <laughs> We're really bikes, they're off their meds. Uh, I also love the way Scorpion's face is drawn when he's so disappointed about his dilemma not working, and he's just like, well, "I'm just gonna have to ripple your sparks out." Just you know, you're gonna let me have my fun. But he makes a schoolboy error of answering the phone when he was in a port of meeting. That's what does he <laughs> the mean? The phone gag is especially beautiful. <laughs> how he reaches down so gingerly it's as well. for you <laughs> I love these these silhouette panels there was one there's one with um, it's one in the previous mm-hmm. issue with Scorponok and Grimlock it's hard Gr- Scorponok does not have a very good silhouette um, you know he's just sort of a weird lump but yeah, just they're putting the little eyes in there, making the, some kind of expression. Mm. It's a good trick, and Milne does that quite a lot. And it can mm. be a very expressive panel without needing to put all the work into it. So I call it a trick because I bet it's like a shortcut in how to uh, draw something when you just like don't have time to draw it properly. But it's very effective. I like it as well. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's all the information mm. you need to make that scene work. So he's uh, Scorpidoc killed here, Ed. Because we're told it's a lethal phone message, even before they have to hold Grimlock back from stabbing him through the chest. And mm-hmm. he, he seems to hear the whole message as well. He's like, get to shoot his hand off like, like Shockwave did. So is, is this the end of Scorpion? No, I, I mean, the way I read it is that Flame uh, raises the alarm, uh, the others have to run away, and then presumably Flame just grabs the phone off of Scorponok. Um, so, yeah, next step, they all uh, run to level 113. Ah, that's quite a big ship. And uh, well, who are these hundreds? He says there's hundreds of them. They're all wearing the knight's mm. insignia. Where have they come from? From the tree sob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> there were quite a few <laughs> guys flame back in uh, Troja Major, right? When um, they went after Arnold and Lug. Hmm. 
We've got the same of 10,000 Decepticons left, and there's about 9,900 and accounted for. So maybe they're all hanging around. I'll say Decepticons for these guys. We've, I mean, so we—I think we've been given rough numbers. We've got about two hundred on Cybertron. We've got about five hundred with Deathsaurus, but I guess that's been cut down a bit. And we've got X hundred um, here. Okay, so yeah, we've, we've got—we've got a lot to. We're still under a thousand that we could even fudge. So these guys, yeah, and Flame—they all have the Grand Architects insignia. The Magnificence has some other knight's insignia. Oh. Have we seen any of the other symbols anywhere? I mean, other than Agonizer's Wall. Um, I don't think so. Uh, which symbol did Skid see? Uh, he saw the Grand oh. Architect symbol. And that's, okay, just I the Grand Architect. it's the same that's on Luna 1. Okay, Luna One is an is a art grand architect shit. Okay, yeah. did uh, did you see uh, when Alex Mill? No, not Alex Mill. Somebody who bought the original art of uh, Skid's vision uh, from Alex Mill, that it was different symbols on the original art. I don't think the uh, the night the night symbol was on there. It was like all of our Decepticon uh, logos. So that that was an addition done after it had been drawn. Interesting. So who designed those cool little glyphs? They look like Milne kind of doodles. Oh, I'd assume it would have been even in post-production, but Kit obviously says, yeah, put something cool in there that we can call back on in a few years. Obviously vectors. Um, they can move around. Um, hmm. 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 There's a Obviously, 113, we all know what that means. If they go to room 15, is there any significance of a number 15 in Robert's work, or is that one just a number? Doesn't ring a bell here. They get to a transmat, which might help them escape. Well, they assume it's a transmat. It might be something a bit more sophisticated. Yes, that's what they assume. They get inside the room, and they have a bit of a conversation about what they're going to do. And uh, they decide that the organic is probably not going to survive the transmat. And in fact, um, it's the magnificence that says that it's not. Uh, yes, yeah. The, which uh, goes all the way back to devastation, doesn't it? When uh, Hunter and Verity get uh, beamed up and they, they turn a ghastly green. As that cliffhanger, it's like, oh, they're they, they dead because it doesn't work on organics. And then for the next issue, they're just fine. But uh, that's, um, that's consistent. There's, there's, there's the phrasing of the question. Is it safe for an organic to travel via transmat? But I don't think they're traveling Yeah, by and uh, specifically, the Magnificence gives a dot, 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 and then a separate no. In um, fact, there's a couple of things in the way that the Magnificence answers here. So let's see what it's being asked. The first thing that we respond to is, um, anyone know how to get to? The sentence is never finished. Well, and then the Magnificence spits out galactic coordinates, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what the 332, being the last of it's called it. 
where they're trying to get to is Garrus 9. Uh, but they never actually finished Ask the Magnificent specifically for Garrus 9. So that's uh, potentially suspicious, potentially not. Then they ask... But the very... Th- the, 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 the thing said just before that is, you can show us your old cell. Well... Uh, can any- anyone know how to get to... Yeah, I mean, all the way in the in the previous page, they, they go in. It's a transmit su- uh, suite. Yay, suite. Um, where are we going? Garrus 9, why? It's a notable prison, because it's got a lot of dead bodies and we might be able to transplant the baby spark into one of the dead bodies. And, um, okay, we're going to make the briefest of stops, the Garrus 9, then we contact the curator and collect our money. Okay, okay. Um, uh, hey, Grimsy, Garrus 9, we get to see your old cell. Sorry, that was a bad joke. And then, um, anyone know how to get to, and then the Magnificent spits out the coordinates. So it does appear to be giving them the coordinates, potentially Grimlock cell. Um, then they ask, wait, is it safe for an organic to travel via Transmat? Magnificent thinks about it and then goes, no. Which again, yeah. They don't ask, is it safe for an organic to go through this particular portal that we're looking at right in front of us right this minute? Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, no. And then uh, Grimlock says, give me the baby, opens his chest, and the hole that was this big before, as big as the Magnificence, <laughs> suddenly in the, is this big gaping thing that's big enough to fit a baby. Okay, no explanation for this is given. I don't know if Grimlock can just like realign his chest whenever he feels like it, which maybe he can. I mean, yeah, these guys can change shape. Uh, but anyway, this bugged me a little bit. Uh, Grimlock takes the baby, <laughs> puts it in there. Uh, everybody's like, no, no, we're not leaving you behind. We have to talk about it. They get on the platform and uh, they try to have a quick chat about what they're going to do. Grimlock uh, shoves them through the portal. Um, before they have a chance to think about it and then breaks the controls. So he stays behind. Uh, actually, the transmat here doesn't work like we've seen transmat teleports work in RDW before either. It's, it's basically the blue door from Quantum Leap where you just walk <laughs> through it, which uh, is, is to be more like Star Trek transporter previously. So I think you might be right about this not being a normal uh, transporter system. Unless that's an artistic choice. <laughs> But now, what's the what favor? What favor is Misfire asking of everybody? Uh, I, I presume to stay back and fight. To 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 let Misfire stay back. No, I think he's asking everybody to stay back and fight with Grimlock. Oh, okay. So he's asking them not to go through the transmat so they don't leave anyone behind. Right, okay. And Grimlock's like, yeah, whatever, and just shoves them through so they don't sacrifice themselves. Okay, that reads. So, the scavengers on the other side are in a cell. It looks very much like Grimlock's cell. The door is very similar to the door that we saw Cup and Gazel open to get to Grimlock's cell. And it looks like they locked it behind them as well. And when they left, they're, they're better at security than Scorpinox guys are. We'll lock the empty cell as we leave it. It's good <laughs> housekeeping. Um, there is a graffiti on the wall. Kill all cons. I don't actually remember seeing this on Grimlock's cell, but let's assume that it was there. Hmm. 
but very neat at graffiti as well. He's a man who's conscientious about. Has he, has he scraped that in with his finger? Is this made of stone? It's like it's been, it's... yeah, scraped on the wall. Yeah. Um, the door won't open. Uh, they try to call somebody. They don't actually have a communicator. Um, and they say, ask the Magnificence what to do. And Nicole says, Magnificence has gone to sleep. It's not responding to anything. And then everybody turns to Croc and uh, the uh, shot, we have a, a zoom out and we see what looks like Garrus 9 on a desert planet. So the scavengers appear to be trapped on Garrus 9. Uh, according to James Roberts, this is the last scavengers adventure in Lost Light. <laughs> they have been left on Garrus 9 to rot. Um, maybe not to rot, but they've definitely been left on Garrus 9, locked in a cell. But, um, Tom, we had some chats about uh, what they could potentially do on Garrus 9 and you had a good idea which is that they could potentially repurpose it for the clinic that they're planning on opening yes um, they mentioned the clinic in the previous episode for the, the amount of money that they get from uh, Agonizer for the Magnificence and it, yeah it has a kind of it has a, a nice ring to it a former prison being turned into a, uh, a rehabilitation center. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd like that to happen. Mm. Well, it, it wasn't a former prison by the end, though. The last two years it was open. It was basically a, a concentration camp, which <laughs> is great for flywheels if he was still about. E.g. <laughs> getting medical treatment there. But I'm not sure any other deceptions are going to come along and go, yeah, I'm happy to... Yeah, let's uh, let's open up a uh, hospital for ill Jews in Auschwitz. That's, oh. <laughs> that's a lovely idea. That's what we'll do. <laughs> we'll be happy with oh that. Oh my god! <laughs> so I think that would be a bad idea. Yeah, I can't say I'm behind that either. Uh, although you did mention, I, don't, I had forgotten what happened to the concentration camp. And uh, everybody, this is a spoiler for your genesis. Okay, if you have not read Eugenesis and you're uh, and you don't want to be spoiled about the ending of Eugenesis, stop. Just skip ahead thirty seconds. Uh, the concentration camp in Eugenesis is transformed into something else, isn't it? It becomes a uh, new Autobot base, and uh, I think it's uh, Ratchet who says this is a really stupid idea, but we're doing this. All the inmates are now having to live here. <laughs> okay, so we do have that thing. Uh, there is a prison. Maybe it'll be. He likes yeah, his concentration camps, James Roberts. <laughs> I like to think that they'll do it up like in Paddington 2, what they do with the prison. You know? Oh, that's it. Maybe in Paddington 2 for a song. Some, some desserts. Some, you know, just some colours. You can really turn you can turn a bad situation into a good one. Does Paddington brutally torture people in that films? You like uh, shove marmalade sandwiches in their mouth till they die and then leave them hanging from the ceiling? I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hugh Bonneville will be that, but um, if this is the last scavenger's story, uh, I think it's quite a good uh, finale for them because it pays off so much of uh, sort of their arc, which is what you do if you're a Decepticon after the war. If you were this sort of concentration camp working war criminal, what what do you do when you've been set free from that ideology? And uh, it sort of ends up with them at a point where they are prepared to do the, the wrong thing and save a baby, uh, which is, as Nickel reminded us, is sort of against Decepticon ideology, saving these organic creatures. 
Oh. So, uh, made quite a similar journey to Megatron, where he ended up going on, uh, where he was prepared to res- risk his life for those organics that turned out to be Transformers that Fortress Maximus then killed. <laughs> they get his sacrifice pointless. <laughs> But, I, suppose they, they, I suppose they did want to turn the organic into a transformer, but but yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's, it's baby steps. Yeah, I realise a baby shouldn't have a spark. <laughs> they're not like, they're not as insane as Scorpion. They're like that's funny. We'll put it in a robot body. That's funny better for it. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't quite grasped the significance of that. By valuing the baby and making a run for it, yeah, they are rejecting uh, the dark path that the. That, the Decepticonism took. There is a beauty to the whole scavengers concept in that everything is forgiven. Um, if you're in the scavengers, they're willing to forgive Nickel being in the DJD and allow her to be mm. in the scavengers. Um, these are not easy things. I think we would probably be a lot more critical of, say, Flywheels being a good guy uh, because we would find it a lot harder to forgive flywheels uh, going from a concentration camp guard to a lovable character, um, which is, uh, you know, uh, the exact same issue people are having with Megatron. They can't deal with the fact that Megatron is now a good guy. Uh, some of us can, other people can't. Um, the scavengers are the people who forgive everything and everybody and give everybody a second chance. Mm. There's a there's, there's a feeling amongst them that I kind of got at well at like school and you know uh, barbecues and things in South Africa where a lot of people had been in the border wars they'd done some some pretty crazy murders and um, uh, you know like everybody knows that everybody nobody wants to go back nobody wants to go back there. I mean, there's a whole genre of literature about this of just like, yeah, well, you know, we had we we were told to do these things, we did them, and uh, we kind of hate that 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 happened. But yeah, don't don't um, yeah, don't throw that in someone's face. Like nobody deserves to be nobody deserves to 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 be punished forever. Like you, if you're if you're a good person, you punish yourself. Um, just you know, just of your own. I'll go to a barbecue. <laughs> well, yeah, this is kind of your. You know, you you're never really out of hell. I think is the, the sort of unspoken sentiment that goes on. There. If, if if you're not going to throw everybody in prison or kill them, then you have to do something in terms of moving on. Uh, which the scavengers do without any help. There's no set up to help ex Decepticons uh, rehabilitate themselves. There's no uh, no system in place. They just have to muddle their way through life, and they they've done a pretty good job. They, they haven't had uh, it's not as showy as what was done with Megatron, where he's doing grand gestures. They're just sort of getting on with it and coming coming round to a better. If you want to think a better way of thinking, a better way of being, that once they're free of the ideology, they've lived with their entire life. Hmm. And yeah, and then the parallels with what's going on in the Lost Light, like they're they're happy when they are together, and they're happy when they are, uh, you know, when the, when they can include a new person in the group huddle. But they but they end up back in prison anyway. Oh, bless them! <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we go, we have an epilogue. A lovely epilogue. 
Uh, we uh, we see what happened to Flywheels after he tried to escape the DJD. And what happened to Flywheels was that he met the scavengers who were calling themselves the Foragers, <laughs> I believe at the time. <laughs> Although God knows how they were pronouncing it. Um, and we find out that um, uh, their ship is in fact Crankcase's ship, which uh, they've stolen and they've locked him uh, in the um, somewhere anyway. He seems to be a prisoner for the time being. Um, we see Misfire, we see Croc on there, and um, we see uh, Spinister. And they are uh, all welcoming flywheels on board. Although he comments that the uh, name perhaps might need some revision. Uh, and uh, in line with what we've just been talking about, um, he says, why Why are you calling yourselves what you're calling yourselves? Because we find things that other people overlook. Uh, if it's been abandoned or discarded, if it's of no apparent value to anyone else, then we are interested. Especially if you've got a sort of purple or lilac colour scheme. That's, <laughs> that's why Crankcase is locked up. They have, they have to take time to adjust to a blue guy. He's purplish. He's not pure blue. Yeah, he's got some he's got some shade. It's that nineteen eighty eight kind of look. He's got he's got some um sort of lavender yeah. on him. It's what what of a team. And then in a the shock twist at the end is that uh, Scorponok is not the Grand Architect, or at least was not the original Grand Architect. Quite. The Grand Architect is a blue ball in the sky. Who likes quoting lines of dialogue from Unicron in the 1986 Transformers film? Mm. Don't know what that could be. <laughs> yes. Is that deliberate misdirection? Hmm. Mm. Nevertheless, uh, we we see the insignia here. Uh, we know the two definitely belong together. Oh, with the insignia and the Grand Architect. Yes. Yeah, he's branding them. Uh, I should I should stop calling them insignia. Regalia is what they're called. I always like badge, but they use in the old comics. Just like it was like a. <laughs> I like I I thought of them as coat of arms. I think they are referred to that way by somebody at some point. Uh, it might be Nautica. Mm. And that would no. fit in with the whole bites yeah. idea. Yeah, that's, that's what a good uh, good call. Now, here's something. It says next. Threnody. Mm-hmm. Where have we had Threnody before? Is that a place? Is that, is that, ne- is that a word? It's, it's definitely a word, because it says it right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know how we can find out. There is this amazing place. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's called the TF Wiki. Ah. You can, you can type words into it and click a button and it spits out information for you. So okay. Only if it decides you are morally worthy, though. That's, uh, that's how the TF Wiki works. <laughs> uh, Mr. Wikipedia says that a threnody is a wailing ode, a song, a hymn, or a poem of mourning composed or performed as a memorial to the dead. Okay. Well, CTF Wiki says he is somebody who used to run the records. Oh, okay. Uh, well, there you go. See, we've, that's quite a good name for a uh, records. Uh, oh, yes, that's some sins of records. Is it? Okay. Yeah, uh, his name is mentioned, right, in the cemetery bit. So that's, uh, that's a... A more uh, elaborate name than the other uh, toy character we get in this story of uh, Ratatatat. <laughs> that was a great name. 
<laughs> is this somebody? Is this an Which existing are... character? I don't think I've come across that name before. Apparently, it was going to be called Volva, as in as in Revolver. But James realised that said said out loud, it might sound slightly suspicious. So how did so how did he get maybe even intentionally he get from that to what it ended up being? I wonder. Now, who were we, we met other gun cons, haven't we? It was Rapid Fire on Luna One. Was he a gun con? It's or not my sort of name. <laughs> That's all you need. Right. So, should we wrap up? So, what did you guys think of these two issues? I, despite a couple of uh, plot oddities that I, I, I have shook my fists at, uh, I thought it was generally very enjoyable. I thought it was uh, it's always good to see uh, the scavengers. Uh, it's uh, fast-paced. It's got a lot of good dialogue. It uh, pays off some nice old plot lines. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I would have been bothered if we'd never seen the Magnificence again, personally, but it, it does it. It uses it well. It asks new questions uh, with it. It's a very nicely drawn couple of issues. I don't think I'd have noticed the divide between the artists if I hadn't uh, paid attention to the credits. So they, they mesh very well together uh and it's uh yes it's a very uh solid romp before things uh get get more serious as we head towards the end of the entire universe um i agree i don't i've got really nothing but praise for this two-part uh it, you know it's it it's such a great so it's, you know, it's a genre story. It's it, the whole thing of scavengers is that it's sort of it heist this sort of high kind of concept crime capers, and it uses that idea. It doesn't break the world at all. It, it fits into this huge established rolling plot and setting uh, really beautifully, and even just you know using just how well Scorponox used and how well the magnificence comes off. These big legacy ideas just mesh so peacefully together, um, and then and then you've got this other layer of of just exploring this idea of of you know you could be a scavenger for stuff, but being a scavenger for people. Um, if you're a scavenger for stuff, you're you're a pirate, you're a criminal. But if you're a scavenger for people, if you find the thing the people that other people overlook. Uh, you are a very moral and uh, um, admirable person, um, and yeah, it, it, it plays. It doesn't foreshadow. It doesn't. Well, it doesn't foreground that. that that's not. We're going to do a story about re about the, the how prison is wrong and rehabilitation is a humane act that should be a cornerstone of our civilization. No, it's a story about finding a trying to get a thingy from a guy from a bad scientist who's making babies in his body uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah it just has that love uh, a lovely kind of after taste of um of a very humane and uh, very thoughtful idea so yeah it hits all it hits all the notes to me I have to agree with everything you've both said. They are two beautiful issues. Scorponok is very well used, and uh, I think he plays particularly well against the scavengers here. 
literally the only complaint I have is the fake out at the end of uh, the first issue, which nobody bought it. Why did you bother? You know, <laughs> except for those two people that you had mentioned. Uh, but even with that, uh, you know, I, I can overlook it happily. Uh, it was uh, two very good issues. The scavengers have had a, a really good arc. Uh, I can't remember a single issue that the scavengers have been in that I had much wrong to say about it. Um, it's been a journey uh, in very much the same way that the, some of the main characters have had uh, on the last slide. And given how little time we've spent with the scavengers and that there's... Uh, so many of them and they don't all necessarily get a lot of screen time to themselves i think the journey has been a good one a very solid one um which is uh, if like Stuart says this was the last we saw of them i think i would have been happy uh, to leave them here uh i would have been a bit unhappy that uh, uh, poor misfire didn't get to stay with grimlock so that's a little, a little bit sad, but, uh, you know, I'm glad to see that Grimlock has appreciated everything that's been done for him, especially as uh, in the issue that uh, we guys first did a podcast together, there was uh, a bit of a discussion around how Misfire was treating Grimlock at the time uh, as a person who couldn't express himself. And we discussed that back then, if you recall, uh, whether Misfire was actually treating him with respect or whether there was an issue of abuse around what was going on in that relationship. Uh, it's good to see that Grimlock has not felt the same way now that he does have agency again and that can express how he feels. Uh, so it's all a happy ending, you guys. It is. And also, actually, uh, one thing, because I have often, and I think Tom has as well, said about how James would often comes across as feeling like he would like to write TV. Uh, rather than comics, possibly. But uh, the whole Scavengers format is something you could only do in comics. You couldn't do it on, on television episodes where none of the main cast appear. And the first Scavengers story did have that B-plot of the Lost Lights, just in case the Scavengers didn't take off, so it could cut to something with the characters you'd expect. But all the other ones are completely separate from, from the main, so even though they've set up a lot of stuff for the main arc, uh, more than we realised at the time, it's a sort of entirely separate little bubble that uh, you couldn't do in any other media easily because of the contractual constraints of, of TV. So that's uh, that team doing something uh, for, for something very comic-y. Hmm. Uh, which I felt I should point out. So I mean, oh, that's, a very, that's a very good point. Uh, so, is, is there any, uh, anything else anybody wants to say, or shall we uh, bid adieu? Personally, I'm good. Do you guys want to add anything else? Uh, no, other than to say, uh, as always, check us out on uh, Facebook and Twitter as uh, Podcast Maximus. Uh, look us up on the TF Archive uh, forum. Uh, again, we've, we've had some very nice feedback uh, for the last episode we did, including from Alex Mill, of all people. He was very complimentary. But, uh, we'll, if you if you say nice things about us, we'll say nice things about each one of our listeners by name in every episode. That's that's all. Uh, and for me, you could check me out on Twitter as at Inflatable Dalek. Uh, my new short story is out now in the uh, the spring 2018 issue of Mad Scientist Journal. I think I think it's only like two pounds to download on your Kindle, so it's a bargain. And there's those other short stories as well in there by people who aren't me, which. Uh, 
one of the people in it is named after somebody I work with, and they read it, and they quite liked it. So that's... Again, you see, just they mention people, they're, they're forced to like what you do. That's, that's the rule. So, uh, Tom, uh, what's your Twitter, and what are you up to, <laughs> generally? Uh, I, I am at Jerome McNally on Twitter. Uh, what I'm up to... Uh, I have a uh, make an audio drama called The Saga of the European King. Uh, it's currently between seasons, but season three should be starting around June. It's looking like looking like around June. Currently, I'm writing a um, an audio drama script for a show called The Other One Percent. Uh, it is a spooky ghost story. I need to actually go and finish that script now because it's due in. Um, I think last Tuesday. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all it's all going great. Um, oh, what about you, Marion? What what are you not finishing at the moment? Um, I have nothing uh, to sell, promote, or otherwise advertise at this point in time. Um, the only thing I'm really keen on doing right now is going out there and enjoying the rest of this sunlight, which has been a bit of a shock to the system the past few days. So on that note, Podcast Maximus will be back sooner than you think. And we look forward to seeing you and hearing you or you hearing us or one thing or another. You know what I'm talking about. Pretty soon. <laughs> bye bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. bye.